Oh, it's so good to be here this morning with you and to worship with you. And um, I feel a little, little awkward in a way because I feel like some of the thunder's been stolen uh, between your prayer time and your worship team and all that. But you know what? It's great how God knits us together. In fact, I was talking with Dave, uh, actually Friday night he was talking about it, and he says, hey, I know pastors have messages that they love to preach, and, and every pastor has two or three messages that he just loves, he does them well, and he thinks they're the best message. And, and he asked me, he says, so do you have one of those messages for Sunday? And I said, actually, no, I don't. I said, God gave me a totally new, a totally different message I need to work on, and it started about three weeks ago. And I thought, all right, God, all right, you know that I need to work on this, and you know that... Um, these folks here evidently need to hear this message this morning. And so I, I say that with humble heart and, and that this message is something that God's given for this morning. Um, if you, the title of my message originally, and I got to say this originally, I had a nice catchy title and it was Know, uh, know Grow, and I forgot the other part of it. No, I had to change it, huh? Show, that's it. Thank you. My wife reminded me. I, I've totally thrown it out of my mind. But it was no show, and grow. And I said, oh, they rhyme. It sounds good. And then actually last Sunday, the person that was preaching at our church in, in, back in New York mentioned the word show. And he says, what a terrible word that is. And I'll get to that in a minute. So I had to X out show because show didn't work anymore. And so the title of this morning's message is No, Share, and Grow. And I'm going to develop that a little bit more. Um, we're headed to John chapter 4. So just so you know, that's where we're headed John chapter 4, uh, whatever device, word, reading, Ike said he would try to even try to get it up on the, the big screen for me, but John chapter 4 is where we're headed this morning. But I want you to know Jesus, I want you to share Jesus, and I want you to grow in Jesus. Because guess what? And that's the same message for me. I, I need to do that lens of those things, but first and foremost, I need to know Jesus. And so we're going to look at that through that lens of John chapter 4. Again, it's one of the four Gospels. It's written um, by John. I like John in many ways. I can't say it's my favorite passage because they're all my favorite passages, right? We're supposed to say that as pastors. They're all, you know, your, your elders even asked me what my life verse was, and I, I gave them four or five because as my life has grown and changed, I have different verses. And, and at different times, God speaks to me, and through different passages, is no different. But for this morning... This is my favorite passage, and so we're going to work through John chapter 4 this morning. John wrote it, obviously the beloved, the one, he doesn't name himself in it, but you know, and, and scholars don't argue this one very much, that John wrote the book of John, and also 1 John, 2 and 3 John, and Revelation. So that's the author of this, and so we're just going to kind of jump into it, but Jesus is beginning his ministry, as context is important. Jesus is beginning his ministry, he's been baptized, he's gathered his disciples, and now he's starting to actually gain some traction. And people are starting to come and they're starting to follow, and their disciples now are actually starting to baptize. So his ministry is growing, it's coming up on the radar screen. He's an up and coming in the area of Jerusalem now as a teacher, as, a, as someone who is rising, and people are starting to follow him. He's gaining disciples. But the, let's just look at a few of these verses, and we're going to kind of stop and go along because there's just so much in here. But the first verse says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who was baptizing, but his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. 
Again, the, the John that is mentioned here is John the Baptist. Again, if you, if you know the story of Jesus, he went to John the Baptist. John the Baptist already had followers, already had disciples, and was baptizing people. And he, in fact, baptized Jesus. But now that some time has gone on, Jesus is ministry, and, and he even says, not even him, but his disciples. And so he's gaining tractions, and he's come up on the radar of the Pharisees back in Jerusalem. And you can already kind of get the hint, there's some jealousy going on. There's some problems in the ministry that are going on, and, and they're upset, and they're going to start coming after him more and more. And so rather than stay and fight with them at that time, because Jesus knows that's not the timing yet. You know, many would say, well, wait a minute, there's a ministry that's growing, people are coming, that's the time to stay. But Jesus says, no, it's not time yet, I'm going to go. And interestingly enough, he heads back to Galilee. Again, in that day, there was no planes, trains, or buses, or any other. It's left foot, right foot. You got to walk. And in fact, he's going to Galilee, which is quite some distance, at least three days walk, if you're brisk and you're, you're setting pace. And typically, to go from Judea to Galilee in the north, you know, I'm always the, the straight line, right? We would walk. If I wanted to get to the back, I'm going to walk straight straight down this aisle. That would be the easiest way to go, right? But see, in that day, there's a problem. There is something that's actually in between Judea and Galilee, and it's this little area called Samaria. And a Jewish person would not walk straight through. They would literally take a longer route, even more, and they would walk all the way around to go to that point, because they didn't want anything to do with Samaria. They would go all the way around up through the mountains, down by a river, through roads that were hard to travel, but they would not go anywhere near Samaria. They would stay away from it. They would avoid it. I'm going to explain a little bit more. We'll see in the passage here why that's important and why Jesus took the route that he did. I think it's always important to know why, why things are there and why these details and what they mean. Because again, there's application through that, and we'll get to that in a moment. So verse 4 says, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Okay, there's a couple things here in those details. Again, Jesus has chosen to go right straight through the middle. He's going through Samaria. He gets about halfway, and he's tired said it to one of the moms this morning that she was tired. She looked tired, and, and I said, but it's okay. You're a mom. You get tired. Jesus got tired, right? The importance of that is that, yes, he is Jesus, but he's still in man form. He has all the same physical he needs that you and I have. He gets tired. He gets hungry. He needs rest. He needs water. And again, there's a well there. And so he stops there. There's a, a one word there that, that also kind of gives us some indication as well, that it's at noon, right? The sixth hour is actually on the, on the Jewish clock. Is it dead in the middle of the day? It's noon. It's, it's not going to be many people at the well in the middle of the day. And this, this is a hot area. It's humid. That's not, I mean, it's not humid. It's dry, actually. It's very dry there. But that's not a typical time that people are going to be at the well. In fact, most of the time that if you were at that well, there would be nobody there. And this is where Jesus finds himself on the sixth hour. And look who shows up. 
Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Mine in caption here says, because his his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan. A Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked for it and for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Yeah, remember I told you about that area in Samaria that, that the Jews would avoid. There's a reason for that. There was racial prejudice against the Samaritans and between the Jews. They did not even associate with each other. They did not get along with each other. There's also the barrier of man versus woman. It's not proper in that day for a man and a woman to have that conversation, and especially a Samaritan. In fact, if you went to the temple and you, you would have to confess to the priest that you talked to a Samaritan or that you shared a dish with them or that you were in that area, and you might have to offer a sacrifice because you were considered unclean because you associated with them. It was taboo in that day, not something that would take place. But yet Jesus had to go there. He had to be with her, and he strikes up this conversation. Interestingly enough, she doesn't want to converse with him. She's the one that puts up the walls. Did you notice that in the, in the passage? Right? Hey, you're a Jew. You know, that's a wall. I, we don't talk to each other. You know, how can you even ask me for a drink? There's, there's ignitation in that. They, she doesn't want to engage in conversation. It's not something she wants, and yet he persists through that. He goes over that wall, and he says, I have something I have some living water. I also like the fact that Jesus just, they're at a well there, right? I mean, water, that's, that's the plainest, simplest form. They're at a well, around the water cooler, if you want to call it that in that day, the well. And he just uses that, and he converses with her and says, I've got something that's even better. Trying to pique her interest, trying to break down that barrier that she obviously has put up. She puts up another wall. Verse 11. Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Really what she's doing is she's putting in a wall, but she's actually trying to put him in his place. She's comparing him to Jacob, who gave him the well. Are you greater than him? You're at a well, and you don't even have anything to draw from. Again, culturally, you had to bring something to the well. There wasn't just a a, a jar or a bucket there to lower it down. Quite often, there was nothing there. You would have to bring your own, lower it down, and bring it up. And she even says, the well is deep. She's also basically saying, I'm not going to help you out here. I'm not going to give you water. I have a jar, but this jar is for me. That's all in that context. She's putting up every barrier... She does not want to engage. She, she's Jesus for a reason. And again, she doesn't want to engage with Jesus. And again, if it was us, most of us would give up. We'd give up in a hurry. That's just too many barriers. This person obviously doesn't want to spend time. But Jesus persists. And he goes on. He, and he answers her. Again, he reiterates. I want to just reiterate that point that Jesus 
says, or everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Right? Physical water. She's stuck on the physical. He's there with her. That water, you're going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become like a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. Jesus has just laid out the plan of salvation for her. He, he's letting her know some things that, that he hasn't told even his disciples fully yet. It's a free gift of, in the Holy Spirit. He's, he's hinting to things that, that are beyond her imagination at this point. Trying to engage her, trying to offer her something that she doesn't have. And he's giving that to her. He's, he's making that offer to her. That overflow, that response. Then the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that, when I, so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw the water. Again, obviously she's stuck. She's stuck in the physical, right? The stuck in the here and now. But she likes the idea of not having to go back to this well. You know, not having to do that work. This, this was, was, was physical work. It took effort. It took time to go do this. So I can understand. I can, I can be sympathetic with her. But she's stuck in the physical. She doesn't see the spiritual yet. How many times do we get in the same spot? Do we get stuck with just what we see and the physical and what we're doing? And we totally miss out on the spiritual and what's going on around us. The opportunities. Things that God gives us. I love the worship team this morning. They, were, they got that with the praise and the verses go right along well with this. Verse 16. So he told her, go call your husband and come back. She replies back to him, I have no husband. Jesus says to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you are now with is not your husband. And she responds back, what you say is quite true. You can almost see there's been a total change now. When she was putting up the walls and she was putting up the barriers and when she didn't want to talk with Jesus... Now, all of a sudden, he's got her attention. And he's called her out a little bit. And he said, hey, you don't have wells. In fact, you've had five of them. This might explain a little bit why this woman is at the well by herself. But we, most scholars agree upon this because the fact is she didn't want to be with other women. She was probably not well-liked in the town. The fact that she was there in the middle of the day is so that she could avoid people. Again, that's not the normal time to get water. But Jesus now is speaking to her heart and he sees something in her that she doesn't even see in herself and he's just revealed it to her. He's opened her up. It's kind of broken through. You want to use that term, broken through the wall. Again, she's living with a man. She's not right. She's, she's looking in the wrong place to supply something. The, the analogy works very well is that she has been looking at men to supply something that only Jesus can supply. She's been using relationships. I can tell you, there's no woman, no man on earth that is going to suppress or to exceed what God can do. God needs to be first. You're looking in the wrong place. If you're looking towards your spouse to fulfill those spiritual needs, it's not going to happen. Only Jesus. Jesus is the one. So he's got her attention. He's talked to her. So now she's starting to open up. She, she realizes that this man knows me. He knows what's going on in my life. Verse 19. 
She responds back to him. She says, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declares, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship neither the Father, the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Your worship team this morning mentioned it. Whether you stand, raise your hand, kneel in the back, you know, that, that's a picture. They've already got it. That was well said this morning. Jesus is saying the same thing in that day. In, in the mindset of that culture, you had to go to a place to worship. In fact, it wasn't only just the place. You only went to a certain time to worship. Guess what? Even in our culture today, we can get wrapped up in that. We can say, I go to worship on Sunday morning. You're cheating yourselves if this is the only time that you worship. You're getting just a small portion of what God has for us. Worship is not confined to a place. It's not confined to a form. It's not confined to music. As much as music helps us, it, can be, it encompasses everything that we do. Or it should. Prayer, giving, interacting with others, being with believers, even eating, sharing food together, doing a lot of that this weekend. It's been wonderful. Even that, though, is part of worship. And again, it's not just on Sunday morning. Worship should be, should be, a continuum all week long in every situation, in every form. Kind of gave you a part of a sermon. I can do a whole sermon on that on worship and then use that passage, but I'm not going to do that. That's another sermon for another day. In fact, I probably got a little bit off of my rabbit trail, but I promised at least one rabbit trail to the guys in the back. So that's at least one on worship. There's a whole message there. But you see the heart of it, the importance of it. And actually, in this story, she's putting up another barrier, right? In fact, she even calls you're, you're a prophet. Now, that's, that's high praise. She recognizes Jesus as a prophet. But Jesus is so much more than just a prophet. Prophet's only part of who Jesus is. Again, she doesn't have that full picture yet. She hasn't quite come around the corner yet. Sometimes many of us haven't come around that whole corner yet of knowing Jesus to the fullest. And that's the goal, is to continually to know him deeper and in a greater relationship. And again, worship is part of that. I love this next verse. The light bulb goes on, and, and Jesus does something amazing here. Don't miss this. Verse 25, the woman says, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus declares to her, I who speak to you am he. This is an amazing scripture, an amazing time when he announces who he is to probably the most unlikely candidate. I mean, you would not have predicted this in a million years. This is not the person you would have sought out to say, I'm the Messiah. It just, 
it blows my mind in many ways that Jesus chooses the most unlikely person, someone who is having trouble with relationships, someone who culturally they don't even get along, they don't even associate with, they avoid the relationship, man and female. This is not a typical thing, and it's only one-on-one. Jesus declares this to her, just one-on-one. Just like he meets us, one-on-one. He wants a one-on-one relationship with each of us. And he does it right here to, like I said, the most unlikely candidate. A woman who's not very well represented, not morally sound by any means. But yet he meets her right there at the well. And he does that to her. It's amazing to me. Now the story jumps a little bit. And, you know, the disciples, again, they might have been the likely candidates. In fact, the two, compared to the two, is almost comical in many ways because those were the ones that you would have thought would have gotten it, would have gotten the message right away. But no, it's this woman. But they show back up on the scene. Remember, they had gone off to get some food. They're, they're now coming back to Jesus. They've, they found out where, where he was. And look at their response. When they returned, they were surprised. They found him talking with a woman. But no one asked him, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Again, they're, they're confused or perplexed by the situation. This is not normal. And they see Jesus doing this. But yet they're afraid to ask him. Look at the woman's response here. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Stop right there a little bit. What was the reason that she went to the well? What was the purpose? To get water, right? And what's the one thing she leaves? That that little detail is very important. She leaves it. I mean, that doesn't make sense in many ways. Because guess what? She's now found something that's more important than that water, than that water jar. She's just left it there. And again, she's beelined it back to the village. Remember what I said about her character, right? Her character's not good. In fact, the reason she's at the well at noon is to avoid people, yet she's going to the village and she's telling everyone there, hey, this could be the Christ. You need to go talk to him. You need to go see him. She's sharing something with a group of people who probably look down their noses at her and and she doesn't care anymore. She's unabated. Hey, guess what? In fact, in those days, you would have had to go to the elders to really get the attention. So she's probably gone to the, the highest officials in that to let them know, hey, the Christ, there's someone I want you to meet. Not that she's a credible source probably in their eyes, but again, they see the excitement, they know her, they know that something's happened, something's taken place in her life that she wants them to come and check it out. Then we have this little side scene here, and John lays this out beautifully here with the passages, but in verse 31 he says, Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But then he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Man, you could just pin that verse up, and that could be, be your model verse. You want a light verse? That could be a very good verse to, to grab a hold of, right? Just to do the will of what God's 
told me to do. His disciples, who you could put that motto up and that would work anywhere. But look, even his disciples who have spent time with him, they've given up everything. They're following him. And they're still, they're calling him rabbi, teacher. Again, that's a sign of respect. And certainly Jesus taught a lot while he was here on earth. But again, just like the prophet, that's only a small portion at this point of who Jesus is. They only know him as a teacher, as a good teacher. Teacher that they were willing to give up their careers to follow him. And again, I don't make light of that's a lot for them to do. But what they're the same as the woman in many ways. They're stuck, right? What are they thinking about? Food. Physical food. Guess what? Jesus takes food, just like he did with the water with the woman. He says the same thing. Guess what? I've got some food for you that's better than physical. I'm not talking about physical food. I'm talking about spiritual food. I got something that's going to be much better. And he says, you don't know anything about that yet. You're not there yet. Then he gives them these verses. And again, it's an agricultural society, so they're going to get this, this illustration very well. And, and again, another great passage, and there's another sermon off of this for another time. But these next verses, Jesus says to them, Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes now the reap and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wage, and even now he harvests a crop, the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, the sower, one sows and another one reaps, is so true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. Again, a great passage, and there's a message in there for that. But I have this, this vision, and again, I can't always back it up, but I almost think because Jesus is sitting with them, and he says, meanwhile, I think he can already see the villagers coming. He knows what's about to happen, but I think he's, he's telling them to say, hey, look, look over there. They're coming out. The people are coming out of the village. They're already coming to, to meet us, to greet us. Right? Look at the harvest. They're right there. They're coming towards us. I think they had that visual. But again, the agricultural side, they know that, right? You, you that plant, right? Springtime. I'm not sure when springtime is here exactly and when you're going to be planting seeds in the ground. Um, if it's April or May. Uh, when I was in May, June, yeah. We used to wait in July. <laughs> All right, this is going to be a short season here, but yeah. We used to wait till Memorial Day before we put anything too deep in the ground, except for potatoes, and uh, for Maine, potatoes are very important. But it's a short season. It's not, it takes a lot more effort, a lot of sowing, and again, the, the reap doesn't come for a while. You have to wait. In fact, he uses here four months. And that's, that's not a bad reference point for a lot of crops. It does take anywhere from three to four months for something to, to happen. Again, pulling this out for illustration purposes for our own lives, sometimes we sow a lot of seeds, but we don't see a lot of harvest, right? In fact, most of us, as we share and we share what God has done for us, we're going to sow a lot more than we'll ever see reaped, this side of glory. Sometimes we, we don't even get to see the harvest. It takes a lot more planting than it does often reaping, but we need to sow. It's a, it's a command. It's not an option for us. As believers. And again, I'm talking about spiritual, not so much the, the physical here. But he says, hey, the harvest is already here. It's already ripe. You know, as we were driving around yesterday and 
we were talking uh, about the areas in, in different, different places. Now, again, I don't know this community yet. I, I have no idea about this community, but I guarantee that there are places here that there haven't been many seeds sown. But you know what? I know that the fields are ripe. They're ripe, they're ready, there are people just waiting to hear the gospel. The store, there may be, they're, they're everywhere. They're, they're, there's more than we even know. There may be someone right outside this door. There may be even someone right here this morning within these walls. So I don't take that for granted. And again, Jesus says that they're there for you. And, and so that the harvester and the reaper can, can have the wages, but they can celebrate together. They can enjoy the benefits of that. And why I say I think that Jesus could see these folks coming out and the opportunity, it's because of the next couple of verses. Again, this woman's not only gone and told them, but there's been some result as well. And look at the response. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She said to them, he told me everything I ever did. And so the Samaritan woman came to him and urged him to stay. And the Samaritans came to him and urged him to stay two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we are no longer, we no longer believe just because of what you said, but we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man is the savior of the world. What a great ending to this story and what a, an amazing thing from a woman who was not well liked, who was not known, who, who did not at first even want to talk with Jesus to be one of the first evangelists, to actually go and tell a whole village who didn't really think very highly of her and convince them to go out and hear Jesus. I can't tell you how much of this story just, just... And again, they didn't believe just because of her testimony. That's a, a lesson for us, right? I mean, I can stand up here and tell you about Jesus this morning, and I can, I can share with you, but until you personally have that knowledge of him, and when you personally come to him, that moment of salvation for you personally... That's when it, it clicks in. That's when you know Jesus. As much as I, I love my kids and uh, I have a grandbaby now, and, and again, I wish I could, I always wish I could impart, you know, my salvation to my kids, right? But you know what? They have to come as individuals. Our friends, we, we all have friends and people that we want to see come to the Lord. They have to come one by one, just like this woman did. They have to realize that Jesus is the Messiah, that he came for our sins to pay the price, and that he rose again, that we may have eternal life with him, where we will never thirst or hunger anymore. Now, I challenge you this week to, to read on and to read the story a little bit more, and, and maybe look at it, go back through it and look a little bit more in depth at it, because there's a lot there. But again, getting back to the beginning of this a little bit, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know who he is, not just as a teacher, not just as a prophet, but as your Savior and my Savior. He is the one that paid the price for our sins. In fact, we're going to remember that in a few minutes. I love the fact that today happens to be Communion Sunday because guess what? It leads perfectly. It's a reminder, and it should be a reminder for us as believers should be a, a click back to that point when we came to know Jesus Christ as our Savior and what he did 
for our sins. So it's great that this morning is communion. And again, we can't do that enough as that reminder. And that's a celebration of what he did. And he did it for each and every one of us, one by one on the cross. The other fact about this is sharing Christ, right? This woman was so radically changed and so touched by you that she was willing to go and share. Your, your prayer verse this morning was, was spot on, right? About being a light, shining. That, that light means sharing. That, that's what the reference is, is sharing who Jesus is. Not just being bright, it's sharing. Sharing what God's done. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be, be with a, a set of verses or a program. Really, just, hey, I know Jesus and I want to share him with you. Or do you know Jesus? It can be really that simple. In fact, I used to ask a question when, when we, in Bible school, you have to go out and do open-air evangelism and, and go out and share with strangers. And, and I used to ask the question, so do you know God? And sometimes the person would say, yeah, I know who God is, and, and I would just go on. Or like this woman, if, if, if this woman and, and I would have met, a couple of those barriers, I probably would have walked out and, and said, oh, she doesn't want to hear it. Let me go on to the next one. What I've learned to just find is who you get to know me, I'm a bottom line guy. So the bottom line is, who is Jesus? And I'll say, do you know Jesus? What do you know about Jesus? That cuts out a lot of the, the, the other religions or the, the, the I think I know or I got or I believe in something. No. What about Jesus? Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the one that you need to know. So that's the sharing part. In fact, I'm going to challenge you this week. I'm going to, going to ask you to do something for me. And I'm only asking, it's a request. But I want to challenge you to find at least one person. Pray about that one person this week that you can go and share Jesus. Just one. Just asking for one person to go out and share Jesus. Ask him those questions. Do you know Jesus? Do you know who he is? Do you know what he did for you? not asking you to invite them to church. I'm not asking you to, to sit down and do a Bible study. Those are all good things. But you know what? Until they know Jesus, that other stuff's not going to mean much. It's not going to amount to a lot. But I challenge you for just one person. One person this week. It's 50 or 60 of us here this morning. If we, just one person. Just sow one seed this week. So that's my, my challenge for you. If you do that, another request. Again, I got more than one, and I'm going to ask, add another one on here. But as an encouragement to your elders, an encouragement to maybe someone that you're accountable to, and again, you don't need to give the details, but if you do that, if you share with one person this week, just let them know that. Whether it's Bryce or Dave or Ike or Ryan, just say, hey, Brian, just to say, hey, guys, I took Pastor Charlie's challenge and I did it this week. That would be a huge encouragement to them. Also, will give them a little inspiration because they need to do this as well. Because I guess what? I'm going to check up on your elders this week and just say, hey, and you know what? I expect them to do the same with me, just for accountability's sake. But, but really, it would be a huge encouragement to them to just hear, hey, I heard what Pastor Charlie said, pushed through the barriers, and I just shared with one person. And I haven't talked much about the growing part because, again, that kind of comes later. Because the, the growing in Jesus, that takes time. 
Becoming a disciple of Jesus takes time, effort, it ebbs and it flows, and it takes a lot of work, it takes prayer, it takes reading the Word, it, it takes some time. But until you know Jesus, and I think even until you share Jesus with others, the other stuff can kind of come along. I forget about sharing, get in the way. If I spend too much time reading and, and focusing on myself, I forget about sharing it with others. At least that's been my experience, and sometimes I have to even snap myself out of that. I want to just spend time learning about Jesus for myself, and I neglect other people. And again, I used to say, well, you know, someone gets saved, and they need to read this passage, and then they need to get, get grounded and, and learn about what that all means. You know what? I've changed that view a little bit. When you come to know Jesus, you need to share it right away. Don't wait, because you'll never get to it. You won't share. You'll lose sight of who Jesus is and what he did. And so um, as I'm even thinking about that excitement of my own life, again, it's been 40 years, but it still excites me. But we need to share Jesus. We do. There are so many that are, are lost. We need to share them. And so don't wait. Don't wait for the growing. Growing is important. Don't get me wrong. I, growing in the word and, and studying is important, but it's not the most important. Share Jesus. So those are my three things, knowing Jesus, sharing Jesus, and growing Jesus with those challenges. Again, I hope that you can take some nugget from that this morning, but let's just close this time in prayer as we move to a time of communion. Gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We just thank you for who you are, and Lord, we just thank you for what you did on the cross for my sins. Lord, I, I thank you for your willingness to pay the penalty for my sake. Lord, as your scripture says, we are to go and share the good news. Lord, help us to do that. Lord, lay it on our heart. Show us the person. Lord, may we not let barriers and roadblocks and things and people and get in our way. May we have that passion to share with others. Lord, continue to do that work in us. Continue to, to show us areas that we struggle in that we need to change. And Lord, as we come to your table and we remember what you did, may we continue our worship in spirit and in truth this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.